Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, control addiction, and codependency. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. As a spiritual coach, I can support you on your path to make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions, read the blog, listen to some of my original music, and subscribe to receive email updates. I think of Recover Your Soul as a community. Follow us on social media and join the private Facebook group to support each other and connect. For an extra episode each week and to support this podcast, become a Patreon member or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Hello and welcome to Recover Your Soul. Thank you very much for choosing to spend your time with me here today. I'm going to talk about relationship, specifically about marriage and having kids and addiction and Al-Anon and codependence. I've had this on my mind a lot as I am thinking about my own relationship. I've been going back and re-editing some of the older podcasts because when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. I was recording off of a voice memo. I wasn't editing a single um or a single huge pause out of it like I do now. And so going back and listening to those old podcasts have been really profound for me in the sense of remembering how the relationships were even just a couple years ago with the growth that I had had already that was so much better than what it had been before. And I was still so fresh in the pain and struggle that had come from my marriage and from raising kids. And it's interesting how time passes, right? So it's been four years since I did my beginning of this recovery. And so much, so much has happened in my life since then. So much healing and so much growth that I can almost forget how difficult it was, which is actually really good because I'm always saying that, like allow what was in the past to go ahead and dissipate, allow it to have its time. We don't have to be holding on to it desperately, but I'm here to be a resource and a beacon of light for you. 
And so I wanted to touch on marriage and raising kids partially because of re-listening to those episodes and also just in talking to people, you know, now we're out of COVID like we were before and talking to more people, both personally and professionally and coaching people, having people reach out that are listening to the show, talking about what they're interested in hearing more about, listening to the voices out there and what's happening and being married and raising kids is hard work. And I wanted to come at it at a soul recovery place from what my experience, strength and hope of it was. When I got married, I think that I had that unrealistic expectation that often comes from the storybooks and the movies and what you see on TV and what you think the happily ever after is. And when I met Rich, He really checked so many of those boxes for me. And I just remember when we first met that I was so naive. I was 22. I really thought that I had some time under my belt. You know, I had been in relationships for my whole life. I've always been boy crazy. So I had a serious boyfriend starting at 15 years old. So by the time I had gotten to 22, I really felt like I had been around the block. You know, I knew what I wanted. And so when I met Rich, he just checked so many of the boxes. And yet when I look back at myself, I had no clue who I was when I was 22 years old. I was already expending so much energy to try to be who I thought he wanted me to be instead of me figuring out who I was. And so a lot of the years that we had together were those formative years of trying to figure out who you are as a human being. And I convinced him to have kids early. So we got together in 1992, married in 1994, and had Alex in 1996. So very quick in terms of being together. We were already parents and had a mortgage and the life that comes with all of that. If you ever listen to my songs on my website, there's a song called Falling for You, I think it's called, but it's a song that I wrote about Rich and our life together. Then you have kids and you're figuring things out. For us, we were alcoholics and our way of connecting was with friends and with drinking and parting it up. And even when we had the kids, we found ways to make sure that we had friends that partied like we did and so that you wouldn't feel uncomfortable throwing back a bunch of margaritas when you've got young kids in the house. You know, you create a lifestyle that matches where you're at so that you'll be comfortable. And again, like I've said before, we had a lot of really fun years in there and a lot of good times. And even though there was this undercurrent of our differences and how we saw things differently. But I want to pinpoint, starting pretty early on, things changed for us. And part of that was because Rich went and did a project building a house up in the mountains when Alex was three or four, less than that. Alex and Bodhi are two and a half years apart. So Alex was a toddler and I was pregnant with Bodhi at the time that he went up and built this house. So he was gone for almost two or three years 
for most of the time. He would come back on the weekends and then he would spend the summers here so that he could work his construction business, his building business here in town, and then go up when normally it's harder to have jobs in the winter and live up in the mountains building this house off of a generator. And so it was really tough up there. And what ended up happening was that separation of our time and me becoming a mom to two small kids and really having that part of me where I needed to formulate the control about how to manage these kids and how to run the house. And I didn't have my husband around. And I started to establish how I wanted it, how I expected it to be. And Rich was up in the mountains running this project, building this dream project for him to design and build this custom home. And it was rough up there. They weren't living in a house. They were camping in the winter One year, we bought a really dilapidated old camper trailer that he lived in. But most of the time, he was literally in a tent in the winter in Colorado at elevation at over 9,000 feet. And it was intense. And so how did they deal with that? How did they stay warm? How did they stay motivated? What do you think? Yes, handles upon handles of hard alcohol is how he managed that. And when he came back from that experience, his alcoholism had taken a whole other level. And for me, I think that I felt abandoned. I didn't realize it at the time. I just hunkered down into the control part of myself and trying to do this fairy tale life of how you're supposed to have kids. You know, what is your life supposed to look like? What are you supposed to look like from the outside? And my Al-Anon illness, my illness of control and wanting things to be different started to really accelerate in addition to the fact that I was also a functioning alcoholic. So, so many layers, so many factors going into it. And I think about the kids and how pretty early on it was complicated because it's always complicated when you have children and our life was always chaotic. It's It still has a level of chaos, even in the calm that we have in our lives now. There's still a million unfinished projects and too much stuff and not as much organization as I would like. And I just have to accept that this is, I have accepted, I've completely actually accepted that this is just the life that we have. And I'm going to do an episode about how we just got this dog, which is such an interesting add to a life when you have gotten your life kind of settled down and without the kids and working from home. And now what do I do? I add another level of chaos. But when Rich returned from this project, And we had had a disconnect from that time with him being gone. And I had learned how to become more self-reliant. And I think the other aspect in my life was that I was raised by a single mother. And my dad was in the picture, but he was only in the picture as like the dad that you go see on the weekends. He did not participate in the co-parenting 
that a lot of people do now when they are separated and divorced. My mother had complete free reign to do with me as she pleased because my dad 100% handed it over and trusted that she knew exactly what to do. And so it's not that he was distant. It's just that I didn't lean on him for that kind of parental role. It was more like you just go visit dad and hang out with whoever his new girlfriend was for the weekend, you know, until he got remarried. So what I happened to me in those years when Rich was gone is I went into that mode that I was raised in, which is only one person makes the decisions. Only one parent is the one who parents. And that I can recognize now that I struggled with the co-parenting part. And I struggled with it. And Rich and I have talked about this in our podcast as well from the part that I grew up in a family that had no yelling, no anger, which is both a benefit and not healthy because I didn't know how to handle difficult situations. In my growing up, you just were good. You know, they just, you just did what you were told. You just were good. You didn't rock the boat. You didn't raise your voice. You didn't act out. You just did what you were supposed to do. And in Rich's upbringing, there was divorces and there were tempers and there was love and there was a sibling that he fought with. And there was, you know, there was fire in their world in terms of how they interacted with each other and discipline, a different level of discipline. I was raised where you just did what you were told. And Rich was, you know, if somebody didn't do what they were told, then there was to be a consequence for that. And I really struggled with that. The whole sort of part of this is what I can recognize in myself that I am seeing in my working with people and my relationships with other people who have kids is that we forget the union of two people with their own personalities, their own concepts, their own predisposition, their own patterning, their own projection, all the things that come into it. By the time you get to past when the kids are little and you're just in the chaos of toddlers and and you get to middle school, and these people are people now. They're not babies. So you had the toddlers, you had the young kids. As I've said before, you can fix anybody at that age with a cookie or a hug or a nap. And then you get to the place where they've developed their own personalities. And already by then, we had developed very standard alcoholic home behaviors where there was oftentimes chaos that came from the fact that the kids didn't really know what they were going to get. That sometimes they would get the happy, cheerful parents that were fun-loving and easy to get along with. And sometimes they would get alcoholic, intense parents that they weren't sure what was going on with them. And that was really hard for the kids. And then for Rich and I, we started to battle pretty early on, middle school, really, beginning of middle school, when they're supposed to do homework, when they're supposed to do chores, when they're supposed to supposed to be something. And 
I always came from the perspective that was, if they just come out of my home feeling unconditionally loved and with some skill set of how to be in the world, we'll have been successful. And Rich came from a more structured place of this is what kids do. And we're the parents. They do what we tell them to do. And the battle began. Now, what I want to come around to and talk about is my awareness now about my non-treated Al-Anon situation in myself, which was I went into that absolute fix it, manipulate it, do something about it mode. And I did that in a triangulation of how my husband interacted with the kids. And I didn't like the way that he interacted with them when it was tough. I loved the way he interacted with them when he was soft and caring and sweet and taking them out to do sports and, you know, having fun. But I didn't like the part of him that was disciplining or correcting or trying to get them to behave to social norms. And that was the part that I inserted myself to try to to do something about, to try to have him do it the way that I thought it needed to be done. And what I can also see now is how you lay a battlefield out And instead of the kids seeing two parents who maybe didn't always agree, but would support the other one, I was one of those classic moms that would, right in front of the kids, not support Rich and what was going on and what he was doing, which made him really frustrated and feel really devalued. It made him feel like I was taking away that part of him that's the the dad, the father figure that's providing for the family and doing everything that he can, that he feels like he's doing what's right for him. And I wasn't allowing him to be the kind of parent that he wanted to be. And I think that what I recognized is I thought that everybody should have this life that I had, right? With no conflict, no yelling. And yet I now can see that that's been really hard for me to not know how to be in complicated situations or places where people's energy is really high or there's disappointment or you're officially in trouble somewhere without it just absolutely crushing me that I think I'm going to die. I think I'm not going to make it because I didn't have a foundation of that. And I think that there's an element that we have to be cautious of because there's not always safety. This isn't about allowing somebody to treat children or treat your children in a way that is unsafe for them physically. And also unsafe for them if there's harsh verbal abuse happening. But I think that what I recognize is that I didn't have a clear understanding of what was their journey. I didn't have a clear understanding of getting out of the way and letting Rich be whatever kind of parent he was. Because I was so concerned about the kind of parent that I, the part of him that was the parent that I didn't like, again, there was a lot that was 
wonderful and he taught them a lot of wonderful things and was very invested but there was an element of him that I didn't like how we parented and that I expended a lot of time and energy being irritated and pissed at that behavior and what it did was it detracted from my ability to let them have their own relationship and it detracted from my ability to actually put more energy into being the kind of parent that I wanted to be for the boys and having the relationship that I can have with them without getting so enmeshed and triangulated in the four of us. And when I look back on it, it's pretty painful to look back on some of it because what I recognized that I missed in it was loving my husband for exactly who he is. And again, we're in easier time now with the boys raised and on their own and figuring out their own lives and having to heal from the traumas that they had growing up. But what I recognize is that I can witness in myself that I didn't love Rich and allow him to just be exactly who he was so that he could have his own successes and his own failures without the shame and judgment that I was adding onto it with my non-treated Al-Anon self. And this is so not easy because how many people end up getting divorced by raising kids and what did they want together? They wanted children. We go through everything it takes to have kids. And then what do we fight about? We fight about our kids and we end up damaging the relationships with our children as they watch us as adults in this relationship, not deeply valuing each other for who we are and allowing us to make our own mistakes. Because when I'm judging him, what I'm doing is I'm putting him in a corner that he has to be defensive, that if I can allow him to to be totally who he is, just like I was asking him to do for the kids, which is to let them succeed and then let them totally fail. And instead of pointing out what a failure they are, that you say, that must be really hard. How are you going to work on that? How are you going to fix that? What are your ideas on that? To let them do the growth for themselves. And so when I'm looking at people with children, especially, you know, middle school, high school age, and I even think, gosh, just with the number of years that have gone by and how complicated it is now with technology and devices and addiction and social media and the pressures just in these years. I mean, my kids have been out of high school now for a long time. I can't even imagine that other layer that's being added to it. So if we can see our spouse, not as an adversary, but as another human being that's on the same team, If we can recognize in our partners the pain and suffering that they have inside, whatever that is, whether they're actively an addict or not, whether they have those kinds of addictions or whether they're just a human being, we all came from 
everything that we did that was both positive and painful. And we expect everybody else to be somehow better than we are, that we can have our suffering, we can be working on something, we can be struggling, quote unquote, struggling with something, we can be having a hard day, but we don't allow other people to have those experiences. We want them to be something else. In the end, what we do is we separate these souls. You came together for a reason. Most of us didn't come from arranged marriages. We didn't come from a situation where this was not a choice. We stood on the altar on our wedding day and we looked somebody in the eyes and we said, I choose you. And then we spend the whole rest of our marriage trying to change or fix or control or manipulate them to be something else. Well, if there's something that is really a deal breaker in who they are and what their values are, how they treat you, what kind of spiritual person they are or not, whether they're somebody who's involved in living with you or whether they're totally not even in the picture, but you live in the same house, but you're not emotionally connected. Those are things to look at that are real things to not be in denial about, to actually make a decision. Is this good for you? Is it right for you? But more often than not, we're in a relationship with somebody that actually we love deeply. We just don't know how anymore. And when we're in the process of raising kids, there's that whole other element, which is we think we're in control of who they are as parents. Not only as human beings, we're trying to control who they are as humans and how they interact with everything in the world and and nitpick and be sure to point out everything that they're not doing right. But we're not letting them be themselves. Maybe they're not letting you be yourself either. And so then you're just on the battlefield, just fighting each other constantly. But we can decide whether we're going to drop our weapons. We can decide what we're going to choose to speak, what we choose to feel, how we choose to interact, whether we choose to triangulate. Can we let them be who they are in their relationships with their children, with their friends, with their coworkers? without feeling like we know better. And it can be incredibly, incredibly painful. I know it was for me to watch a relationship. Once I got out of the way, we had set up a dynamic for a long time. And Alex and Rich's relationship was tense and had a lot of struggles in it. They'd had a lot of years of not necessarily getting along. So when I got out of the triangulation, and I, I love that actually Alex even said to me, you've got to quit getting in the way from us. We'll figure it out. It also meant that he wasn't able to call me. You can't ask someone to get out of the way and then, and then be in it where somebody is asking for that kind of attention. So we made an agreement. So the agreement was, this is the two of you's relationship, and, and now we're out of high school age, a couple years before he moved to California, your relationship is your relationship with each other. 
But it also means that you can't each come to me and complain about the other person, that the triangle has to stop, that it literally just has to be the two of you. And that was a major breakthrough for us. And it was not easy to watch. So it didn't mean that once I got out of the triangle, that all of a sudden they were hunky-dory and everything was fine and there was no problems. No, totally not how that went. How that went was they continued to battle, but I wasn't in the middle being a really crappy referee. I let them have what those experiences were and they started to work it out. They started to work it out. And it was really hard to be present with some of it because it was painful for everybody involved. It was painful for my husband. It was painful for my son. It was painful for my other son. It was painful for me. But the truth is, when I got out of the way, what I could see was the beauty in each of those people without the tarnish of the relationship that I could start to see the humanness and the complexity and the pain that my husband was in and how hard it was for him to be in a relationship with a son that he loved so much and just couldn't connect with. And to see the pain of a son who wanted his dad to love and accept him just as he was, and he didn't feel that. And another son who was in the middle struggling with what his role was and how to not try to be a fixer too. But we each had an opportunity to start to own our own stuff and own our own relationships with each other and have to be responsible for those connections and those communications or lack of communication or failure of communication and to be able to build those bridges and those relationships in new ways. And very, you know, slowly, 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 those relationships have strengthened and become different. And Rich's relationship with each of his sons is very different from each other. And no longer do I have that part of me that aches at wanting it to be the way that I think it should be. They have a relationship that is based on their own human being stuff. I am not in charge of it. And they love each other deeply. And they talk on the phone and they have connections. It's not the same as it is with me with my son. And it's not the same as either one of us have with either of our children. The older they get, the more we just allow it to be whatever those relationships are. But loving somebody and seeing them for who they are in all of their humanness and allowing them to be not perfect, allowing them to have feelings, allowing them to fail, and not thinking that we have to be the ones that are pointing out all of the flaws, not be the ones that are trying to fix it, and just keep the attention on ourselves. As we say here in Soul Recovery, all the attention just on yourself. You have no control over anything else outside of you, but don't give up your control either. The more that we can allow each spouse to have its fullness in who they are, 
the more opportunity they each have to grow and expand and actually be better people, to be on the same team, to not be battling each other. And if there is alcohol and drug addiction and the multitude of other addictions that are out there, it isn't easy. And we can't make somebody else do recovery. All we can do is do our own recovery. And as we get healthier and healthier and healthier, then we can start making decisions that say, is this relationship healthy for me? And we can let go of the need to make sure that they are as we think they should be for the other people in the family, including your own kids. And you may decide when you quit nitpicking at other people in your family about how they should be different and you start doing the work on yourself that those people aren't healthy in your life anymore. And you might also start to see as you start doing this work and you start allowing people to be themselves and they feel safer, they actually want to do soul recovery too. And your relationship changes. That's what happened for me. I'm surprised that we, Rich and I made it. You know, when we had separated for that year and I came back into our relationship, not because I thought I was going to make it, I came back because I was sure that it was going to fail. And I just wasn't going to be responsible for making a choice about leaving. I was going to come back and put my 100% effort into it with, in my mind at that time, I thought was not going to make it. And then I wouldn't be responsible for what happened. But the truth was, when we started to change our lives, to not only not drink, but to choose a healthier spiritual mind, to stop being in control of anybody else, to take full responsibility for ourselves, to dig deep into soul recovery of our own way, you know Rich does it totally different than me, profound things have happened in our lives and we are substantially happier and better than we were before. It's not easy stuff, especially if you have kids, even after they've grown and they've moved away. It's still an opportunity to allow for those relationships to be as they are and to look more clearly at your spouse through the eyes of love, through the eyes of spirit, through the eyes of compassion. Be the change. Because we can decide that we are actually going to be what we want in our relationship. Be the change. We're waiting for them to change. But the truth is, we can start to be the change. And then the clarity will come about the knowing if this is where you're supposed to be or not. But you want to come from it from a healthy place and not from a damaged, fearful place, because in the end, no matter where you go, there you are. I hope this made some sense in my ramblings, and I just always am here for you. I'm here for you if you want to do a coaching session with me and talk it out and get support. That's what I'm here for. Until next time, namaste. One, two, three. Just a child 
had some time being wild I was looking for a good, strong man You had it all And we Marriage came And soon the kids did too Mortgage and bills Hard work was all we knew So many good days But there were hard ones too there was a time when I said I was through, but you said I love you, but you of raising boys has gone Hair gray bodies change but we keep going strong The healing came when we learned to let it go Quit drinking booze 
deeper on my path to soul recovery? Or how do I support this great podcast? Well, here's how. Here's your call to action. If you're ready for real inner change and would like to work directly with me, visit the website and book a coaching session. I'm here to support you on your unique path. I'm here to help you let go of the past, to deepen your connection with your higher power, whatever that is for you, and to discover and then step forward into a happy and healthy life. You can also become part of our soul recovery community. One way is to join the support group. It's the first Monday of every month. It's by Zoom from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time, and you can register on the website to get your Zoom link. Recover your souls on social media. Of course, there's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, lots of ways to connect. And there's even a private Facebook group that will allow for more communication and conversation about soul recovery. There is also an extra bonus episode every Friday if you are an Apple Podcast subscriber or Patreon member. I'd also love all of the listeners to subscribe on the website so that I can keep you informed on what's going on with the podcast, the community, with me, and anything that's up and coming and new and great about soul recovery. Also, if you just take a little bit of time to give me five stars, a quick review, and to share the podcast with your friends and family, we're helping even more people to have soul recovery in their lives. If this podcast is providing you spiritual nourishment and inspiration, thank you, thank you for going to the website and pushing the donate button, whatever donation feels right to you. This means so much to me because I have this enormous mission of sharing soul recovery with the world and your donations, your bookings, your subscriptions, your being part of this community is helping that to happen. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.